0: The spoken word today is from Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him.
1: We are in our series called Saints. Brilliant, as we entered into chapter 8, and we began that with Pastor Corey last week. It's uh, as, as a phenomenal chapter, it's got a lot for us, and we're going to dive into the middle of it right now as we enter into this today, but saints, and in particular today, uh, we're looking at the idea of adoption, uh, that's what the text kind of pulls through inside the story of Saints. My son, uh, my oldest son Joshua is off at university and my youngest son Jonah is off at boarding school and uh, he comes home occasionally for weekends, my youngest does and so that's kind of good but we are experiencing the empty nester syndrome um, a little bit and so it's a little bit way too early actually, a little bit, it is way too early quite frankly. And yet we've had a lot of conversations with people about it, they've asked us how we're doing and how many therapists we're seeing about it and that kind of stuff and it's been, it's been uh, an interesting process to say the least. It has conjured up all sorts of memories as well, ourselves, of what college was like or what high school was like for us. And and I remember, in fact, uh, when I went to college my very first quarter and how my very first beginning experience there, I made absolutely no friends. The first quarter, I just went there and I knew nobody. That's not funny, but I I appreciate you laughing. That's good. It was actually really hard. I was devastated. No, you just laughed. I mean, just... (laughs) I was being vulnerable, and you're like, ha-ha. Ah. So I'm like, I made no friends whatsoever. And, and I went home, and I was devastated by this. And I determined, uh, however, that when I returned after spring, uh, Christmas break, that I would just just like say hello to everybody. I mean, everyone I would meet, every student, every teacher, every living being on campus, a a dog, a cat, a rodent, everything, I would just say hello to them. No matter who I met, I was just gonna go and do this. It was kind of like I was Tommy Lee Jones chasing Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. Are you with me on this? You know, when he's like on that searching mode and he comes up with a line where he says, what I want from each of you and every one of you is that hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, handhouse, outhouse, doghouse. That's how I felt. I was searching hard for friends everywhere. And I did, I took that kind of resiliency and I went out to Newbold College to this campus and I said, I am going to f- say hello to everybody, which is simply not the done thing, right? Um, because I broke all the cultural rules, you know. Uh, I broke all the established rules of engagement, invading personal space of people. I pretty much shook the entire system of the entire country in that space there and took it by force, which is simply not the done thing. Back home in England, uh, we have uh, several phrases, idioms, if you so speak, uh, that express approval or disapproval. And one of my most favorite, uh, several of them are favorite, but one of my most favorite uh, informal ones, which I love when I hear this. If somebody says this, it kind of piques my interest. If somebody says, well, that's simply not the done thing. I'm kind of like, what happened? What happened? I want to know what happened if somebody says that. Because implied in that's simply not the done thing is the regret of the observer. Uh, It is the disapproval of the observer and the utter disdain of the observer. For one, to break all the rules and codes and expectations and say, well, that's simply not the done thing. Which is what I really believe people felt when they heard Paul in this chapter eight here, in this particular section, when they said, brother Paul, well, that's simply not the done thing. Because Paul's saying, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you can face sin head on. And they were like, well, that's simply not the done thing. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you actually are adopted into the family of God and have all the rights and blessings of being adopted. Well, that's simply not the done thing. Well, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you are intimately connected as Keith was praying through our pastoral prayer there well that's simply not the done thing well because of the power of the Holy Spirit Jesus is with you in the good times and the bad times he experiences both the good things and the bad things with you well that's simply not the done thing so let me ask you this number one question that I have for you it's in your worship guide it's question number one in the recalibrate questions here But do you prefer faith to be natural or supernatural? Do you? Do you like faith to be natural or supernatural? Do you want your faith development path to be an encounter with Jesus as a divine being, or do you want him to be more like the, kind of, the buddy next door, you know, who sometimes messes up kind of like you, you know? And I have this burning question for you, and uh, you're thinking to yourself, maybe it's not really been a burning question for you until you kind of break it down. Because at the core, when you think about maybe church or faith or our tribe Adventism or God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit or defeating sin or forgiveness or suffering, do you want the Holy Spirit, the supernatural encounter with Jesus, or do you prefer the human type, the kind of made-in-China Uh, you know, designed by Mattel, sold in Toys R Us, which went bankrupt, but you can control. Is that what you want? Because some of us, seriously, some of us would rather not hear the voice of Jesus. Seriously, some of us would rather not respond to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. And seriously, some of us would rather not ever have to cry out, Abba, Father, to ever cry out and say, yes, you are my God, and I do worship you and I do embrace you, and I am connected to you. I sat down this week with someone who, for the sake of the illustration, and those of you who know me, know that I'm gonna call this person Bob, all right? So it's just, you don't know whether it's male or female, but I'm just gonna say this is Bob, right? So I sat down with this person Bob, and we'll call this person Bob, and as I chatted with Bob, I explained to him uh, some things about life, and he was explaining to me about his view of life, And then Bob explained to me how he is an atheist who swings occasionally to agnosticism, occasionally comes back, and I asked him to kind of unpack this for me, and I said to him that, you know, I believe, and this is what I said, I believe that an atheist says there is no God, and an agnostic says that I just can't find God, I just don't want to find God, I don't know if it's possible, it's just too complicated. So what's the tension for this person, Bob, was that he could not find out if God was real, and yet... Bob was praying to God. So I said to him, well, that, that desire, that supernatural desire inside you, that you're praying to God, is that there is something inside. I said, you know, Bob, you just come to church. Not because you believe in God or don't believe in God. Just come to church and, and allow yourself to connect to community. Allow the family to connect to you. Allow loved ones to love you and love other people What Bob doesn't know yet, uh, unless of course he's watching, Bob could be watching, I don't know, unless he's watching is that the desire to follow Jesus, the desire to be engaged, is because the Holy Spirit is in him already. The Holy Spirit's already working inside Bob. The supernatural faith is already happening and it is the Holy Spirit that is inside Bob. And that's what draws you to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms you It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to live a different way. So today we celebrate communion, which for me is kind of like Christmas. I I really love Christmas. If I could draw out Christmas and have Christmas last longer than the month, which I do celebrate it for the month, if I could draw it out longer than the month, like two months, I'd be so ecstatic. But I love Christmas. In fact, I, I was just finishing up uh, the sermon series for all of 2019 with some, with some colleagues. We just finished designing all of 2019. And for Easter next year, um, we have a sermon series designed and it's four weeks long, leading up to the week of Easter. And we are going to celebrate communion every week. not fantastic? Every single week. You're like, huh? Hmm? huh? Did he say every week? I'm pretty sure he meant final week. I said, I said, every week. And you say, well, that's simply not the done thing. I'm like, no, 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 no. Eh, just, just come and enjoy it next year. You'll see. Communion is, after all, one of the most amazing moments where you get to experience the supernatural faith practice. And you're like, did he, did he say every week? You're still stuck there, I know. But, but focus for a second, because I just said that communion is supernatural, and that's kind of freaky. Because you're thinking communion is just something that happens. That you take the bread and the juice and how can that be supernatural? It is supernatural because it is transformative to remember what it's all about. That it is the power of the Spirit that calls us to it. That we belong to Jesus. That we have been adopted into his family. That we collectively repent and confess. And that we experience the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. Well, that's supernatural and that can only happen because of God. And I know that you're thinking to yourself, that's really weird, I wish that he wouldn't refer to it as supernatural, I wish that God would just be natural and not supernatural, but then when you say that out loud, you suddenly realize that you're not worshiping God, you're only worshiping yourself. Hmm? Because God is supernatural. And the encounter with the Spirit is out of this world, and it is supposed to be amazing, and it is supposed to hit you in your chest and think to yourself, something amazing has taken place in my life, and this is what this entire book is about, revealing the character of God, taking it to another place, another dimension, understanding that God has something deep to say to you. When Jesus calls us, it's not possible unless the power of the Spirit is talking to you. This is because we don't understand the true nature of what adoption is really about. For seven chapters in the book of Romans that we've been going through, Paul has been ranting on all the time about a possible solution. And the solution is that God said, I'm going to send the Messiah And the Messiah is the one who's going to reveal to you my character. And when you see this, it's going to change the world like you'd never imagined. And then at last, in chapter eight, he says, All those clues that I dropped for the first seven chapters, they start to unpack. Last week, we heard about no condemnation. Now we get to hear the promise you are adopted, so you get to belong to the family. And to belong to the family means we get to reflect the family, we get to have the name. I have a family crest that belongs to my family on my father's side. I get to belong to that family heritage and that family honor. I get to say that I belong to my father and to my mother. I get to have the honor and the privilege that belongs to them. I, my kids get to belong to our family as well. We have a heritage that belongs to us. And when we say we belong to the family of God, do we understand that we represent that? Do we understand that we, by knowing the family of God, we are supposed to reflect the family of God? Family is one of the most powerful expressions of life. If you were here earlier, when we celebrated the ordinance of foot washing first, which is a beautiful practice first, and then as you came into the gathering here, you would have seen a video that we played at the beginning of the service about Tiffany's story about adoption. Uh, I I find it very difficult to watch that, that, that story and not weep and not cry about the story, so I intentionally only came in through half of that. It is difficult. But it's a powerful story about adoption, a powerful story about what it meant for her to be adopted and for her to be, you know, brought into a family. And then she was talking inside the story there about how she gets to love now and how there's one particular line that really touched me inside there. She was rocking her child one day uh, to sleep and she said that as she held this child. She said, how could anyone ever abuse a child? How could anyone ever bite their own child? And it made her cry. Tiffany said, I just want to be the best, most loving mom and give my kid all the value and the love that they need. To belong to the family of God is the most beautiful expression that we could ever have. It is supernaturally driven by the Holy Spirit. We have work families, school families, we have physical families, extended families. We have all sorts of families that we're connected to. And our connections and intersections of life bring us together into this family. Yet within those families, there are broken links all the time. Because we're human, we make mistakes, and things are said and things are done that actually break these families up. And sometimes we think we can't repair them. Sometimes we think we'll never be the same. We say we forgive, but uh, then we say we don't forget. You ever heard that? I'll forgive you, but I won't forget. In fact, I'll get a tattoo across my forehead just to remind myself, reflective in every mirror, so that I can see what you did. I'll have pictures all around just to remind me that I did forgive you, but I know exactly what you did. We struggle to even forgive ourselves. We work from a place of deficit. The call of Jesus, though, through his prayer, resounds deeply to us. Because Jesus says this, and this is part of our vision here at Boulder, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. To forgive like Jesus is really difficult. And you can't do that by yourself. You have to do that only when Jesus is inside you. I am glad that somebody agrees that you need Jesus inside you. The rest of you are like, I hope that he's going to change the subject because this is really uncomfortable. Right? Think about this. Uh, and I, I've shared this with a couple of people. This illustration uh, about little children, right? When little children, when they're really small, and they come to you, and you know they've got their hand behind their back, and you know you, they've done something wrong, and they're holding the item behind them, you're like, you've caught them in the act. And then you're like, what's that behind you? And they're like, nothing. <laughs> you're like, and you can see what they've got because it's sticking out there. And like, you you confront them, and they eventually confess, and you forgive them. It's fine you're good with it. They have ice cream all over their face. And you're like, did you eat the ice cream? You're like, nope. I'm like, it's it's dripping down on your shirt. Nope. But then when they confess, yes. You like you wipe it off you like you do that they confess you completely forgive them forgiveness is complete. maybe I'm a little bit naive here but as a father when I found my kids when they were small and did this I didn't look at them as a bad kid after this I didn't like look at them as a the child that was horrible I didn't say to myself I'm gonna lock put a lock on the freezer I'm gonna set up a new rule I'm gonna build cameras in the kitchen I did not stop buying ice cream Well, that's simply not the done thing. I mean, we we didn't didn't go through this process, right? We forgave them and embraced them and said, I trust you, we are the same. I didn't look at them with the kind of nasty eye thinking, I bet you they're gonna go steal the ice cream again. But when they get older, it became harder. As adults, we find it really hard to forgive each other. Don't we? We forgive each other, but then we're kind of like, well, they should have known better. You ever wonder why? Well, Jesus has this little story to kind of prod this along. A little moment when he's eating with Simon's house. And I want you to, I'm going to read the story to you. It's found in Luke chapter 7, verses 41 to 47. So I've written this text out. If you have it in your Bibles, it's page 957 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 7, 41 to 47. Simon is uh, pretty judgmental about the fact that this ex-prostitute is washing the feet of Jesus. Remember the story? And surely a religious leader should not be near the sinner. Even if she's forgiven, we can't forget. At least Simon can't forget. Possibly his own memories with this woman as well. As Simon lives in a really different world, he drip-feeds grace out to those around him. And maybe you do the same. Will you drip-feed your grace out to people around you? and you only drip-feed grace to yourself as well. But this is what the story says. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owned 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has, wept my feet. she has wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Then, what Jesus capstones this life moment, teaching moment for Simon is this, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. You ever read that section? If we forgive little, it's because we love little.
0: Hmm?
1: And difficult? Maybe you don't like that part. Maybe that's why we find it difficult to forgive people, because we don't actually know how to love people anymore. It's a difficult passage, isn't it? Paul does not let this slip. Paul brings this up in Colossians chapter 3, 12 to 14, he takes this note, and I'm not going to read the the entire thing to you, to have you look this up, I'm just going to read it to you. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing one another. If one has complained against another, he says this, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here's the hard truth that's really difficult for us. Forgiveness exists to help things that have happened in the past. All right? This is what God does. Forgiveness is there to help you deal with all that's happened in the past. Reconciliation, this is what Paul shares, what the reason why Jesus came to this earth is so that this planet can actually come together when we accept and apologize and repent is when we accept the forgiveness and we come together. This is reconciliation. Trust is the journey where we both risk to actually try it again. The problem is that we try to put all those three into one by ourselves. Forgiveness, reconciliation and trust. We try to make trust and reconciliation part of forgiveness. By our human power, we cannot do this. You can forgive some people and never be reconciled with them because they've never apologized and never accepted the gift of your forgiveness. You can be reconciled with some people but not trust them because you both are not willing to risk to move forward. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually could learn to love like Jesus, couldn't we? And we could do all three because with God... Time is not like time for us. So this morning, before we celebrate communion and all that Jesus has done and is doing in us and will do for us, let me ask you this one question. This is question number two in your recalibrate question sheet here. If forgiveness addresses the past, if reconciliation addresses the present, if trust addresses the future, what is the power of the Holy Spirit calling you to address? Our practice in this church is open communion, right? And I love this practice. I really do believe that it actually brings strength to us. It brings strength to us as a community. I think it's because it says that, for the kingdom of God is open to all. It doesn't matter whether you've never heard of the name of Jesus, today you get to celebrate the name of Jesus. You get to celebrate the power of God. The power of God says that I, God, I actually am able to bring forgiveness, reconciliation and trust all in at the same time. Because for me, time is not your time. A thousand years of God is like a blink in the eye. And a blink in the eye is like a thousand years. It is the matter of God. We're the ones who need all these little steps and motions and, and rules and all sorts of stuff. God says, come with me. Let me mesh it all together. Let me bring it all together. Let me reconcile you. Let me teach you what forgiveness is. Let me teach you actually how to trust somebody again. Let me teach you how to actually take the risk and live a new way. So when you cry out, Abba Father, you cry it out with sincerity of heart and openness of heart and say, I'm willing to risk this way forward. Man, if we lived this way, we would heal each other. We would be a transformative community. So when we celebrate today and we take off the bread, we remember the symbol of God's sacrifice, that his sacrifice in his body was broken so that we may have a second life. When we drink of the juice, we remember that the covenant is eternal and the promise is eternal and he will return and he will celebrate this meal with us. I'm gonna invite Cindy Morgan, she's one of our elders to come and join us. She helps us with all of our youth in church here. And uh, we're both gonna serve here. The team's gonna lead us with a few songs. When um, the service deacons, I invite you row by row to come forward. I'm gonna invite you to come forward here and to both sides here and to collect some bread and juice. If you need gluten-free, just let us know and we'll make sure you have some gluten-free bread as well. And then go back to your seat and sit down there, sing the songs, be reflected for a moment. And I'm inviting everybody to come from the balcony, from the back, from the tech team, video cameras, everybody to come down here and to be served. After that, I'm gonna ask the worship team to stop playing as well, and they're gonna be served as well. And then we're gonna participate. And uh, by participating, we get to celebrate together all that God has done in the past, all that God has doing in the present, and all that God will do in the future. For in God is full
0: forgiveness, full reconciliation, and full trust.